Well, Tuesday is certainly a day we're not going to forget. And, you know, I'm, with the events that have happened around here this week, it, depending on how connected you are, it weighs on your mind maybe in a different way, but it weighs on all of our minds in some ways. And uh, if you're not aware, some of you may not be, but we have a lot of people from Marshall County who uh, attend our church. We have a lot of them. Some of you are here today. You're involved in the school systems. And um, one of the things about... Uh, small communities that you love is that everybody's connected in some way, right? Everybody knows everybody. Uh, but when something like this happens, all of us are impacted or connected in some way to it. And, and uh, the ripple effects reverberate uh, to everybody. And so for those of you who are from Marshall and uh, some of you grew up there, some of you still live there now, some of you are in the school systems, we've been praying for you all week. Um, and, you know, it's been incredible to watch the support of all the communities around here. Uh, for Marshall County, hasn't it, as we've seen that unfold. Uh, and that support is really, really important. That support's really, really crucial because when stuff like this happens, and I, I don't know that consciously we always realize this, but when stuff like this happens, it, it impacts us all deeply, and it impacts us all in a lot of different ways. There, you know, there are at least three different levels, I think, where we begin to feel the impact of this and have to process through this. And all I want to do today is maybe help us all to... Uh, be able to process through it a little bit better. Uh, because we're impacted, first of all, at what I would call the intellectual level. So when something like this happens, and we, we watch this unfold, something like this happens, and you know, there are all these questions that come up immediately. Well, conversations start. How do you fix this? How do you keep this from happening? How do you prevent this? And you know, you get into conversations and it always you know, navigates or migrates rather to gun control and the mental health and the school safety and all those things. And I, you know, this isn't the time or place to talk about that. But I do want to give one piece of advice real quickly about this, just to those of us who are Christians. And if you're not a Christian, there's, um, I'm, I wouldn't presume to give you advice on what you should do with this or how you should process it. But for those of us who are Jesus followers, I think there's something really important we have to remember uh, about these conversations, these kinds of conversations, and that is the best thing you can do, the best thing I can do, is to pause and to listen to the other side. It's to pause and to listen to the other side. Everybody wants to share their opinion. Well, that's great. We should pause and we should listen to the other side. Not, not because we'll agree with the other side at the end of it. Maybe we don't. Maybe, you know, we'll never get on the same page in terms of what other people are saying. But what, whatever side you're on, you should listen to the other side, because you might learn something. If nothing else, you'll understand somebody better. And if our country needs anything at this point in time, it is civil discourse. It is an example of here's what it looks like to disagree with somebody, but to respectfully disagree and to listen to the other side and have some civil discourse. So uh, that's just a piece of advice that's free. You can take that or leave it. But it impacts us all at this level. And those conversations automatically happen. But there's some deeper levels where it impacts us. We feel this spiritually. It impacts us at the spiritual level. There are always questions that come up. Well, you know, mostly why questions. Well, why God? Why'd you let this happen? Uh, why didn't you protect them? Why, why, why? There are all these questions, and they're very valid questions. I wouldn't I wouldn't dodge any of those questions or dismiss any of those questions. They're very legitimate. Um, and I don't have time today to dive into all of those, but I will say this real quickly. One, one of the things that, um, and this is guys like me, we're responsible for this, okay? One of the messages that we have sent is, uh, well, God is always with you, and because of that, God will always protect you. God is always with you, and therefore, God will always protect you, and he won't let bad things happen to good people. And that is just not in Scripture. That's nowhere in the New Testament. It's nowhere in the New Testament. God did not make the promise that just because he was with us, he would always protect us. And we don't have time to talk about theologically why that is. But I would just remind you that the very worst thing imaginable happened to the very best person who ever lived. And so if Jesus ended up on a Roman cross, 
then bad things are going to happen to good people. God doesn't always promise to protect us. So while I don't have time to dive into all of those questions today, I want to give you a couple resources real quickly. If you or someone you know is wrestling through some of that, because again, I think they're great questions to ask, and you can take Jesus, you can take our faith, and in moments like this, you can put him under the microscope, and he holds up, he can handle it. So there's nothing wrong with diving into all of that. So let me give you a couple resources real quickly. One is uh, a book that is a phenomenal book that addresses this. It's called The Question That Never Goes Away by Philip Yancey. Uh, and so if you're processing through, or somebody you know is processing through a lot of these why questions, a lot of the doubts and discouragement kind of stuff, this would be a great resource to grab and to read. It'll help you as you process through a lot of that. The other thing I want to tell you is if you're dealing with doubt, discouragement, and all of us to some extent, it kind of hits us deep and causes us to question or just you know discourages us to some extent when we see things like this happen. Uh, I'll tell you something else you can do. Uh, we would love for you to text Journey SP to 555-888. Let me tell you why. So a few of you trust me, so you'll grab your phone and do it. The rest of you are like, uh, what's that about? So let me explain to you what it's about. Next week, we start a brand new series called Starting Point. Uh, we already had this series planned, and this series is going to address a lot of the questions that often seem off limits in church, but we're going to dive in to a lot of the stuff that's at the core of what it means to follow Jesus. And one of the things we're going to do, uh, starting this Thursday, we're 60 days away from Easter. Hopefully this series is going to help prepare us all for Easter. And one of the things to help prepare us is twice a week, just twice a week between now and Easter, uh, we're going to send you text with 90 seconds of content. You can listen to it or you can read it, either one. Twice a week, we'll send you a text that's got 90 seconds of content to encourage you, to help you process through and think through some of the questions that we all have when it comes to following Jesus. So if you'll just text JOURNEYSP to 555-888, that's all you have to do. You'll get the text just between now and Easter, twice a week, and then it will end, it will stop at Easter. So we would love for you to do that because all of us, all of us, uh, because of just the way life is, we could use a little bit of encouragement and we could use a reminder every now and then to pause and to reflect, to pause and to remember, to pause and to consider some bigger picture things of life. And that's what these texts are going to help you to do. And again, we're, just, we're all impacted at the spiritual level by this. Then the third area where we're impacted, and this is where I want to focus today for a few minutes, is at the emotional level. It's at the emotional level. Because when things like this happen, it brings to the forefront something that's always running behind the scenes. It's always in the shadows. It's always in the background of your life. You just manage it pretty well most of the time, but then something like this happens, and fear and uncertainty come straight to the surface, don't they? Fear and uncertainty come front and center. You know why we fear? We fear whenever we feel out of control. And whenever events like what happened this week happen, it just reminds us, we're not in control. We feel like we're in control. We try to convince ourselves we're in control. We try to you know, keep all that fear and uncertainty you know, in the shadows and behind the curtain. But then something happens and we realize, oh, no, we're not really in control. And so I want to take a few minutes today to talk about that dynamic and what happens at the emotional level when we begin to feel out of control. Here's the question I want to start with. How do you maintain hope in a hopelessly broken world? I bet to some extent, in some way, this is a question that you've been asking yourself. Or at some point in your life, as you've gone through things, you've asked yourself, how do you maintain hope in a hopelessly broken world? How do you maintain hope in a world that is so uncertain? How do you keep loving in a world that's so unloving? How do you stay committed in a world that seems so cruel at times? How do you maintain hope in a hopelessly broken world? Now, it didn't take the events of this week to remind us that we live in a broken world. Everyday life reminds us of this, doesn't it? And you've had these moments in your life where you have encountered circumstances that have caused you to go, I, I just feel hopeless. I don't know how I keep on hoping. I don't know how I 
keep on believing. I don't know how I keep on keeping on. How do you maintain hope when you know, that person's not returning what you're trying to give them? In other words, you're, you're trying to love and you're trying to invest in the relationship and you get nothing from the other side. It's like they don't care. How do you maintain hope when that opportunity you thought you had just falls apart and you're left with no opportunity and no clear path in front of you and you're not sure where you're going to go or what you're going to do next? How do you maintain hope? When that situation is in front of you and there's so much conflict around you and you just, you're like, oh my gosh, I don't know. I don't know how to deal with this. I don't know how we're going to navigate through this. I don't know how I'm going to recover from this, from one more thing, from one more thing, from one more thing. I mean, this, this happens to all of us in life. Now, here's what I know. Here's what I know. That whatever you placed your hope in will determine whether you can maintain hope in a hopelessly broken world. In other words, don't miss this. In other words, the object of your hope, whatever you place your hope in, the object of your hope determines the resiliency of your hope. The object of your hope determines how well your hope holds up under pressure when life begins to come your way. Whatever you place your hope in, when you place your hope in something, it's like you're putting a ladder against a wall, okay? Every time you put your hope in something, you're placing a ladder against a wall. You're putting, you know, you're putting all of your weight and all of your hope on it. And if the wall can be shaken, then your hope can be taken. If the wall can crumble, then you haven't placed your hope in something that can withstand the rigors of a broken world that we all live in. Now, one of the things that I find to be very encouraging and very positive is when you open up the Scriptures and you begin to read all these different accounts from what we call the Old Testament or the Jewish Scriptures and then these accounts from the New Testament that we call it, that, you know, the accounts of Jesus' life, the letters Peter wrote and Paul wrote and John wrote and Timothy and on and on. When you begin to read all of these different documents, you know what you find? You find Scripture as a record of people who faced unspeakable, unspeakable uncertainty and fear and yet learned how to navigate through their uncertainty and fear with unshakable hope, faith, and love. They faced unspeakable uncertainty and fear, and yet they discovered in the midst of that, wait a minute, God really is faithful, and, and there is an unshakable hope and faith and love that I can put my ladder against, that I can put my weight on, that I can lean into when I need it the most. This is something Jesus talked about a lot. As a matter of fact, Jesus believed that this hope was so unshakable that even when you had something to be afraid of, he said, hey, there's no reason to fear. There's no reason to be afraid, even though that's something to be afraid of. Jesus said, you've got a hope that's so unshakable, you don't even have to fear the things that make sense. To fear, this is one of the lessons that Jesus tried to teach and instill in his closest disciples most often. As a matter of fact, Matthew tells us, Matthew was one of his closest disciples and wrote this account of his life, and Matthew tells us that Jesus would often talk to his disciples about what it meant to have big faith or big trust in their heavenly Father. Big faith or big trust. And Jesus, and the reason that was such a big deal to him is because the more you trust someone, the closer you become to them. Isn't that true? It's just a relational dynamic. And so Jesus would always talk to them about, okay, I want you to have big trust in me, big faith in me. Like, I don't want you to doubt. I don't want you to worry. It's okay. I know you got those. But I want you to get to the point where in spite of your doubts or in spite of the darkness or in spite of the hopelessness, that you know that I'm unshakable. You know you can hold on to me. You know you can lean hard into me. And I'm going to be there. And so he would teach them this often. But here's what was so interesting. When you read the accounts of his life, he would end up in circumstances with these guys where they got to actually practice this. They got to figure out how big their hope or their faith was. They got to figure out how much they really trusted and where they still had some issues and some gaps. And Matthew tells us that one of those took place one day after Jesus and his disciples had served several hundred people. Jesus had been teaching and healing all day long. And he gets to the end of this. He gets to the end of this day, and they're all exhausted, as you know any of us would be. And so 
uh, he looks at the guys and he says, hey, let's get in a boat. And so they jump in a boat and they sail off across the Sea of Galilee. Now, you may not know this, but among Jesus' closest friends, his closest disciples, there was a good number of them. They were professional fishermen. That was their career. That's what they'd grown up doing. They learned it from their fathers. It was a family business. And so being on the Sea of Galilee, these guys, professional seamen, I mean, it was like a second home to them. This was a place of incredible safety, incredible security, and incredible certainty. And yet on this night, as they're in this boat somewhere where they thought everything was great and, you know, they had everything under control, suddenly it becomes a place of extreme uncertainty. And Matthew records for us exactly what happens. And there's this incredible lesson in here for all of us to remember as we navigate through life and try to maintain hope in a hopelessly broken world. So here's what Matthew tells us takes place. He says, suddenly a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. Isn't this how it always works? Uncertainty always strikes suddenly. It always does. Fear strikes fiercest when it comes without warning. It just does. And this has happened to all of us. Like we've been going along, we thought we had everything under control and life was good and we had it all planned out, you know, and we knew what was going to be happening. And then it just took one text, one phone call, one knock on a door, one conversation. It was like our whole world got turned upside down. Everything came apart. The legs got knocked out under us. That's exactly what these guys felt like. It was everything's beautiful, everything's good, they're in control, this is their element. And then all of a sudden, everything falls apart. Suddenly, the storm hits. Now, here's what's so interesting about this. You, You know this. Whenever we get caught off guard and suddenly feel out of control, it is just human nature. It's just human nature. And we don't have time to talk about why this is. But it is just human nature that we all tend to look up, don't we? Even those of you who would consider yourself an atheist or an agnostic, and we're so glad you're tracking with us, but even you probably, probably most atheists and agnostics I've talked to admit this, that at some point in your life, things have gotten so fierce or so difficult or so fearful or, or, or so you know, troubling that you have found yourself intuitively, intuitively without even realizing it, looking up and saying, okay, if, there, if there's anyone up there, you know, I need some help. If there's anyone up there, do something about this. It's just human nature to look up. It was human nature for the disciples. The good news for them is they didn't have to look up. He's right there in the boat with them. The bad news was this is what they found as they're panicking. But Jesus was sleeping, Matthew said. They couldn't figure it out. They're like, good grief. Okay, with the storm, the waves, the water's just filling the boat. We don't think we're going to make it. And they look over, and here he is sleeping, which again, some of us can relate to, right? You have had moments in your life, maybe you're in one right now, where you just feel like God's sleeping on you. You feel like, I am praying and praying and praying, and he's not answering. I'm asking and asking and asking, he's not showing up. And you, you don't want to voice it because you kind of feel bad about voicing it, but what you feel inside is, what you would love to say out loud is, God, why in the world are you so heartless? Why in the world are you not paying attention? Why in the world aren't you doing something? Why in the world aren't you here? Why in the world don't you care? I mean, why in the world don't you love us and fix this? That is exactly, and this is, this is encouraging <laughs> That's exactly how Jesus' closest friends felt. They had moments with him where they wondered, why aren't you doing something? Why aren't you moving? Why aren't you changing? Why aren't you fixing our situation? And so they did what we all would love to do if we could get our hands on God when things aren't going well. Matthew tells us that the disciples went and woke him saying, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. This is one of those panic, and these are professional seamen. I mean, can you imagine? They knew how bad this was. They're going, Jesus, you got to wake up. you got to help us. We're bailing water. You need to start bailing water with us because we're about to go under here. Why aren't you getting up and doing something to help us? Now, Mark, Mark was a guy who wasn't one of these closest disciples, but Mark was a guy who later became a friend of Peter's, and he got information from Peter, and he wrote down Peter's account 
of Jesus' life. It's really fascinating. And Mark wrote about this very same incident, but Mark gave us a few details that Matthew didn't give us. Here's how Mark put this. He said, A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat, so that it was nearly swamped. This was a big deal. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. Can you imagine this? Now, just, just my two cents worth, okay? I don't know. I don't know if Jesus literally slept through the storm. I find it hard to believe that you could sleep through something like that, you know. My guess is Jesus was doing what we have all done. You know, you're laying in bed or you're laying on the couch and the dogs need to go out and you just kind of barely peek out through your eyelids and then pretend like you're asleep so they've got to go, you know what I'm talking about. I, I think my guess is Jesus is laying on the, sleeping on the cushion, but he's kind of, you know, he's peeking out through his eyelids going, I just want to see what these guys do. This is a test of their faith. This is a test of their trust. You know, he's kind of, he's kind of watching. You say, well, that sounds cruel. No, no, no. He wanted, to, he wanted to teach them something they would never forget, a, va- a lesson so valuable they would carry it with them for the rest of their lives. Or whether he was sleeping or just pretending to be sleeping, it doesn't matter. They went and they woke him up. And Matthew says, the disciples said to him, teacher, I love this, don't you care if we drown? I love the honesty of that question. Don't you care if we drown? In other words, they're going, come on, come on. What in the world are you doing over there? Do you not see what's going on? Thunder, lightning, and storm, winds, waves, there's water on the boat, we're all bailing, and you're just laying here taking a nap. Do you not care about us at all? Now, this was not a rational, intellectual conclusion. They'd spent a lot of time with Jesus. They knew Jesus cared. But our circumstances have a way of causing us to think and respond emotionally and not logically. Isn't that true? That's what happened to them. We all do it. I'll tell you the mistake they made. It's the same mistake we make. And this is not a criticism. This is just human nature. But I'll tell you the thing you have to remember in the middle of this when the emotions run so high. Here's a mistake they made. You should never confuse life circumstances with God's character. They had done this. They assumed, based on the circumstances they were experiencing, they interpreted those circumstances to mean God didn't care about them and didn't love them. We do the same. When life's going great, we think, oh, God loves us, it's good. When life gets rough, oh, maybe God's not happy with me anymore. You know, when things are, you know, calm and smooth and smooth sailing, we think, ah, God's with me. Gets stormy and we think God's nowhere to be found. He's abandoned me. Listen, this is so important to understand. So important to understand. Your circumstances, your circumstances, you should never interpret your circumstances to determine what you believe about God. Your circumstances are in no way a reflection of who God is or how he feels about you. What you're going through, life circumstances, they're not an indication of whether God's present with you or whether he loves you. And these disciples were about to be reminded of this. Here's what Matthew says happens next. Jump back to Matthew. Matthew says, Jesus replied, You have little faith. Why are you so afraid? Now, put yourself in the shoes of these disciples. You know, I mean, if you're in the boat, you would respond the same way I'm sure they did. You're thinking, are you kidding me? What do you mean? What are we afraid of? Okay, Jesus, you're the rabbi, and we're following you because you're an incredible rabbi, and we think you may be more than that. We think you may be God in human flesh. We think you may be the Messiah. So when it comes to all that theological stuff, like you're the pro, and we're going to go with what you say, but you don't know diddly squat about fishing or being on the Sea of Galilee. That's our area of expertise. So don't be asking us why we're afraid. We're afraid because we've seen these storms before. These storms sink ships. These storms sink ships. Do you see all this water in here? These storms sink ships. Do not ask why in the world. What do you mean? Are you kidding me? We're afraid because there's something to be afraid of. But that was not Jesus' perspective. 
Jesus looked at this. This is so strange. Jesus looked at this. The very same storm, the very same wind, the very same waves. And he said, no, no, no. This isn't an issue of we're going to drown. This isn't an issue of the water and can the boat survive. And this is not any of that. This is just about your faith and your trust in me. Now, how in the world could Jesus view the exact same circumstances from an entirely different point of view? Because Jesus knew these guys had forgotten two important things. First of all, Jesus knew they forgot who was in the boat with them. They forgot who was in the boat with them. I don't think, maybe I'm wrong, I don't think God was up in heaven looking down going, oh my gosh, I sent him down there to down a cross and rise again to save the world of their sins, and I never saw that storm coming. The storm's going to take him down. We're going to have to go to plan B. We're going to have to start all over. Oh my goodness, I don't think anybody was freaking out up in heaven about that. I mean, they forgot who was in the boat. They forgot the one in the boat was the one they had watched heal people. He was the one they had watched turn water into wine. He was the one he'd watched done miracle after miracle after miracle. I mean, they just forgot who was in the boat with them in the middle of the circumstances. They also forgot how much he loved them. They forgot how much he loved them. Now listen, don't miss this. They interpreted Jesus' inaction as indifference. They interpreted his inaction, he's just laying there sleeping, as indifference. He must not care about us. Simply wasn't true. And he was about to remind them how much he cared about them. Here's what Matthew said he did next. Then he got up, and he rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. Now, don't miss this. You may have heard this story before, but do not miss the drama of this. All this panic, all this fear, all this water filling up the boat, all this angst, all this, oh, my gosh, you don't care about us, Jesus. And he gets up off of the cushion, yawns, and looks out the storm and says, shh, you're messing with my nap. And it was done, just like that. It was done. It was done. And the disciples are looking around at each other going, did that just happen? Are you kidding me? Did you catch that? Did you video? Get that on Snapchat. Hashtag Jesus strong. Get that on Snapchat. Nobody's going to believe us. Like, oh my gosh, are you kidding me? And Jesus is going, yeah, you, you just forgot who was in the boat with you. You forgot that I cared about you. You forgot that this wasn't, the storm's no big deal to the one who's the creator of all the creation. Like, I did, just does what I ask it to do. That's all I had to say. And then Matthew gives us this other little tidbit of extraordinary information. He says the men, talking about these disciples who are on the boat, okay? The men were amazed, I bet they were. And they asked, implication, they kind of looked at each other like, oh, we don't even know what to do with this. We don't have a category for this. So they looked at each other and said, what kind of man is this? I will answer that for them. Super man. That's what kind of man that is. When you can just get up and say, shh, to a storm, and it rolls over like a little puppy dog and goes back to its kennel, that's what you call a superman. Even they said the winds and the waves obey him. We've never seen anything like this. We have no category for what just happened. Now, in this case, the storm ended, and they arrived safely at the other side. But there's a bigger point here. And this bigger point is something you and I should carry with us no matter what we face and no matter what the outcome of our circumstances are. It's simply this idea that even when life is uncertain, God is not. Even when your life seems completely out of control, God is not. You know why? Because he's still got the whole world in his hands. He's still got your whole world in his hands.
God is bigger and more powerful than whatever circumstance has come, will come, or may be coming right now your way. He's bigger than the conflicts. He's bigger than the marriage that fell apart unexpectedly. He's bigger than the tragedy. He's bigger than the pain. He's bigger than the loss. He's bigger than I don't know how we're going to ever make it and pay these bills. He's bigger than, oh my goodness, I just lost everything that mattered to me. God is bigger than anything that may come your way. He is. And here's what he says. He says the very same thing, and he gives, extends the very same invitation Jesus extended to those guys on the boat. Would you just put your hope, would you just put your trust in me? Would you just put your hope and put your trust in me? Not to solve all your problems and to make life smooth. It's not the way it works. Would you put your hope and would you put your trust in me that I will carry you through whatever life brings your way? Now, I want to make this point. This is not blind faith or blind belief. God does not look at us, and none of us who follow Jesus, none of us who consider this, none of us have to go, okay, this isn't like a mind trick. It's not like, okay, Jedi trick here. Everything says it's awful, and I've got no evidence that God's going to help me, but I'm just going to believe, I'm just going to believe, and I think if I believe hard enough and long enough, it'll make me feel better. That is not what Jesus invites you to do. He is inviting you to put your hope and your trust and your faith and your belief into proof, into proof. There is evidence that you can count on God to walk with you and to be with you no matter what you face. There's evidence for many of you in your past. You could tell stories. But there's evidence for all of us if we just cycle back 2,000 years. When Jesus died and rose again to pay the penalty for all of our sins. And if you wonder, what well, does he care? That was forever answered at the cross. So you're not putting, you know, belief in belief. It's not like blind, oh my goodness, there's no evidence of this and nobody can believe it's really true, but I'm just going to hold on to this because it makes me feel better. No. You're holding on to the evidence and the proof and the truth that Jesus left you, that he loves you. He's already proven it. And that he'll be with you if you'll just lean your ladder, if you'll just put your hope in him. And you do not have to fear, even though there's something to be afraid of, because even when life is uncertain, God is not. He's still got the whole world in his hands. Now, some of you are thinking, maybe most of you are thinking, I would be, well, Matt, that is a lot easier said than done. That's not so easy. That, that's hard, because I'm in the middle of darkness, or when I'm in those moments, it's, you know, God's nowhere to be found. You can, I don't ever see him at work. Well, yeah, that's why it requires faith. That's why it requires trust. And, and that is why Jesus said, you need to focus on building that kind of faith and that kind of trust before the storm ever hits. Jesus' most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, he gets to the end of it. And he's talked about um, how we should follow him in different areas of our lives. He's talked about how we should trust him enough to maintain our integrity and to live with integrity the way he says, even when it costs us. And he's talked about how we should maintain our purity and, you know, guard our purity even when it costs us. He's talked about how we should relate in marriage and treat marriage even when it costs us. He's talked about, you know, what it looks like to offer forgiveness even when it hurts. He's talked about what it looks like to pray and what it looks like to, you know, get to know your heavenly father. I mean, he's talked about what it looks like to relate to one another and not to judge others. I mean, the Sermon on the Mount, the bar is just set so high, but he says, no, no, I want you to trust me enough to live life my way. Here are the values. This is what it would look like if heaven 
came to earth, okay? This, life would be this way. If you've never read it, you ought to read it. It's Matthew 5, 6, and 7, just three short chapters. But he gets to the end of all of this, you know, and everybody's going, I can't do that. I can't do that. I'm just, it's too hard. I'm not even going to try. And here's how Jesus ends this sermon. He says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, in other words, everyone who's heard what I just said, and you choose to actually do them, you choose to follow, you choose to trust me enough to obey. Well, you're like a wise man who built his house on the rock, and the rain came down. Yeah, because Jesus said, storms are coming, storms are coming. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. See, you wait until the storm comes to build a foundation and you're in trouble. Jesus says, you should take the opportunities you have today to learn to trust me. You should take the opportunities you have today to get to know me. You should take the opportunities you have today to build and to strengthen, to develop big faith in me. Because that's going to be your foundation when the storm comes. Nothing's going to shake it. And you'll know even though life is uncertain, I'm not uncertain. I've still got the whole world in my hands. But if you think that's too hard, if you're just going to kind of do your own thing and then just look up to God when, you know, life is hard, Jesus says, I'll be there, but I'm telling you, your foundation won't be there. I'll be there, but your faith won't be there. I'll be there, but your level of trust won't be there. Here's how he describes it. He says, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice, I'll just do it. I don't need to mess with that. Well, you're like a foolish man who built his house on sand. And the rain came because storms hit everybody. The streams rose. The winds blew and beat against that house. And it fell with a great crash. So let me ask you, what's your hope in? Like, really? Not we're in church, you should say God, but really. Like, what's your hope in? Where do you look for your security, for your certainty? Every day, not just when the storms hit. But every day, do you have the kind of faith and the trust that you just follow? You're not perfect, none of us are, but you're following. You're trying to get to know God better. You're trying to follow Jesus better. You're trying to live by the values that he taught. Or is your hope in something you feel like you can control? Well, my hope's going to be in my family because I think I can control. My hope's in my money. I think I can control. My hope's in my career. My hope's in my hope's in because it just feels certain. And that's where, I, that's where I really put my weight. That's what I really count on. What do you count on? Where do you put your hope? Here's what I know. The only way to maintain hope is to place your hope in the unfailing love of God. Because the unfailing love of God is the only thing you cannot lose. It's the only wall that cannot be shaken. It's the only hope that cannot be taken. Paul was writing and he said nothing, nothing. And he'd been through a lot. He said nothing can separate us. From the love of God. Nothing. So my question for you is, where's your hope? Where's your hope? How do you maintain hope in a hopelessly broken world? Well, the truth is, this world is not hopelessly broken. Because Jesus promises that one day in the future, he's going to show back up and he's going to restore everything. All that's broken, he's going to redeem. But the beauty is, in the meantime, he says, as you're walking through this broken world and you're dealing with all the storms of life, I just want you to know, my promise to you is not that I will protect you from anything bad that could happen. My promise is I will be with you no matter what happens. And when you follow me and you trust me, you know what you do? 
You make the world a little bit of a better place because you bring heaven down to earth. People get a little glimpse and a taste of what I intended for life to be about. So what do you and I do when we're figuring out how to maintain hope? What do you and I do to respond to things like this? i tell you what I think we do. Those of us who are Jesus followers, we just follow. We hope. We trust. We live by the values of Jesus. We bring a little bit of heaven to earth. i tell you what all of us do if we're smart. We put our hope in the only thing that cannot be shaken. We put our hope in the unfailing love of God. How you maintain hope in a hopelessly broken world? You just remember, even though life is uncertain, God is not. You believe and you trust. He's still got the whole world in his hands. He's still got your whole world in his hands. So as we close today, I want us to take a moment, first of all, to to reflect and to talk to God ourselves, really honestly, about where our hope is and maybe where it needs to be that's not. Maybe it's just to express gratitude that he's with you in the middle of whatever you're going through. And then I want us to take a moment to pray for all those who've been impacted by the events of this past week, that they will sense and that they will know in the midst of all they're going through, there is an unshakable hope and faith and love that they can cling to, that God is with them. So would you pray with me? Father, this, this is just a great moment for us to hit pause, and I hope you'll give us all the wisdom and the courage to be able to hit pause in our own lives and our own worlds and just at least be honest with ourselves about where we have placed our hope where we've leaned our ladder, what we're trusting in to help us navigate through the uncertainties of life and help us to be honest enough to acknowledge if those things can be shaken, if those things can be lost, and then give us enough courage to choose to shift our hope to you, to shift our hope to the one who's promised to never leave us, to the one whose love nothing can separate us from. Help us to live differently in moments of difficulty because we've lived differently in the everyday moments of life as we've trusted you and followed you and learned to have big faith in you. We do want to pray for all those who have been affected for the victims for their families for the students who had to witness these things for the first responders who found themselves in unspeakable situations Father would you make your presence very very real and tangible to them and help them to have the ability to hold on to a hope that is unshakable no matter what comes their way. We are so grateful for you and for your presence and for your promise that you'll never leave us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.